morning week, the Monday morning Bible study will meet as usual, 11 a.m., and that will be here uh, in the sanctuary. Uh, Wednesday morning, we'll do the uh, prayer meeting and Bible study, and that's at 1030. That is uh, virtual. Let me know if you want to be part of that, and I'll just need your email address so we can uh, get the, the invite to you for that. Youth will be meeting on Wednesday evening as well at 6.30, and I believe that's up in the sanctuary as well. Okay, good. A uh, couple of other things uh, to be aware of. Next week, we spring ahead, so you have to move your clocks ahead on Saturday night or early Sunday morning, and every time I do that, I think this is the stupidest thing I do all year. And I do some really stupid things, so that's saying something, but it's the worst weekend of the year, but spring ahead uh, next week, uh, just to end. If you forget, uh, there's always Facebook. You can watch in your pajamas if you get up too late, and I can't, can't be here for that. Um, also, the uh, Becky's Bunny is sitting over here. Make sure you put your guesses in for that. Uh, the winner will be announced on Palm Sunday, which is the 28th of this month and so uh, you can send your uh, send a message through Facebook if you want to make a guess virtually otherwise it is sitting here on the Oregon if you want to uh, make your guess for that and uh, as always if there are any last-minute changes regarding activities we'll get those online and get those on Facebook as soon as we can and so that's uh, some of the things going on around here and uh, let's now turn to uh, Psalm, let me read from Psalm 29. It's a Psalm of David, and it reads, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come together to worship you and to give you all glory. And we also gather and meet like this to hear your voice that you may teach us, that we may grow stronger in your word. We ask that you bless this time of worship, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And then what uh, we will do is uh, I will give you a few moments here to go to the Father in your silent prayer uh, with your own confession, uh, with uh, those who may be on your prayer list this morning, other concerns uh, that you may have. Uh, but I'll have you go to the, the, the Father in silent prayer, and then I will continue with the pastoral prayer after that. So let's pray.
Heavenly Father, you are the God of all knowledge, the God of all wisdom, of all strength and power and glory. We give you praise. We thank you for the many ways that you bless us. And Heavenly Father, we do confess that we have sinned against you, sinned in thought, sinned in word, sinned in deed. And all these sins we mourn, lament, and cry out for pardon. Give us the fullness of a godly grief that trembles and fears, yet trusts and loves you. Grant that through the tears of repentance we may more clearly see the brightness and the glories of the saving cross that cross in which Jesus died to forgive us of our sins. Help us to see the beauty of that and to see the ugliness of our sin, that we may turn from it, guide our steps, lead us in our ways, that we may give you praise, that we may walk away from the sin that would so easily entrap and ensnare us. And Heavenly Father, we do pray for those around the world and many of the things that are going on. We pray, uh, continue to pray uh, through this pandemic for those who are sick with uh, COVID and, and we ask that you will bring this to an end we thank you again for the vaccines that are available and ask that this will all work and, and that we can get uh, people taken care of, that we can get back to some normalcy of life again. You are Lord of all things, and Heavenly Father, we cry out to you and ask for your healing in the midst of this pandemic. We pray for those who are sick, those with cancer and those who are suffering strokes and seizures, those who have had uh, procedures done by doctors, and, and we pray for healing for them, continued strength for them. For those who are awaiting test results or uh, awaiting for a, a plan for certain illnesses and, and sicknesses, we ask for peace and comfort for encouragement and strength. Heavenly Father, we do continue to pray for our leaders, that you will keep them safe and that you will keep them healthy. We also ask that you will give them a godly wisdom that they may lead rightly. We pray for those we know and love who are lost in their sin, who have not come to the, the saving truth of of the gospel. May you open their hearts and their eyes to that truth, that they may see you as Lord and Savior and give you praise. We do pray for your church around the world, for those missionaries who are 
serving in very hard areas in this world and, and suffering many things, hunger and, and oppression and whatever else they may be dealing with, we lift them up to you and ask that you will encourage them and give them boldness and great success in preaching your word. And for churches in this nation, we ask that you keep us pure, keep us focused on you. Help us to be better servants. Help us to grow in the love and knowledge of you that our words and our deeds may be salt and light in this world, that they may see you through all that we do and give you praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And then what I will have you do is turn to John chapter 6. And it's going to be a long passage today, so you can uh, settle in. And uh, we're going to read quite a bit here. We'll start at verse 22 and read all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 71. And so when I, I warned you when we started with John, this would uh, happen. We were going to take some pretty long passages here. And, and there's a couple of big ideas, but they're tied together. Uh, so I decided to take the whole thing here from 22 to the end. And uh, let me set it up here. What has happened earlier in chapter 6 is Jesus, in fact, this is just the day before, had fed 5,000 men, but if you were to include all the others, uh, maybe 20,000 people, and he fed them with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, and uh, then uh, he got his disciples on, on a boat because uh, the crowd, that all these people that he had fed, they wanted to make him king, and he didn't want that. They wanted the wrong type of king, so he made his disciples get in a boat and go to the other side, now to the to the west side near Capernaum, we'll find that's where they are at. And, and so the disciples went on a boat as Jesus dispersed the people. And then he walked on the water and uh, caught up with the disciples actually on the water. So that was the previous day. And as you will read when we get to this next uh, passage here, now it's the following day. And so let me read from John chapter 6, beginning at verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? 
What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written by the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and this deep teaching that you give us. Open our hearts to your truth that we may see and may believe. Guide us that your word may grow deeper in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I look at this uh, passage and I was, I'm reminded I was uh, uh, fortunate to grow up in a house where homemade bread was pretty much the rule of the house. That's, that's what I had growing up. And you'd walk in the kitchen and, and smell the homemade bread. And, and even now, I'm very fortunate. Uh, the kitchen I currently live in, there's homemade bread being made there uh, every once in a while. And, and you smell that smell and, and cut off a slice and, and put way too much butter on it, you know, so it all soaks through. And, and that first loaf of bread, you eat the first half in like 10 minutes. And then you start putting honey on it, you know, some of that really good local honey, maybe from Tommy's Bees, and, and you got that honey, and, and you start eating it, and you're a, a buttery, sticky mess when you're done, but you love it. Just that smell and taste of this great bread. And that's what I want us to think of when, when Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life. Because it's often these things that God gives us. We often think of them as simple things, homemade bread. And God says, enjoy that. Enjoy all the butter and honey and whatever you have on it. But remember, there's something better. That best homemade bread, and there's something better. You know, and Jesus will say things like this. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light. You know, when you think of yourself in a dark room, and how comforting it is when you finally stumble on a flashlight. No, I have light. And the security you feel with that. Uh, when he says, I'll give you the living water. And when you're parched and really need a drink, how good that drink is. And God said, yeah, these are all pointing to me. There's something better coming. And Jesus, uh, the previous day, had fed a whole bunch of people bread starting with just a few loaves and he, he fed them this bread and it must have been good because they're coming back for more as we see in our passage and this this crowd is is following him again as, as we go back uh to the beginning here starting at verse uh, 22 22 through 29 now it's not the whole crowd it's not all five to twenty thousand people uh that are coming to jesus here but there are 
here's a crowd that, that saw what happened and uh, they even asked Jesus, now we noticed there was one boat. How did, how did you get here? When, when did you show up here? You notice that in, in verse uh, 25. And, and uh, so they're, they're following along. They, they went to the other side and, and they're in Capernaum and they're probably in the synagogue even right now. It mentioned that uh, in verse, uh, uh, later on in verse, uh, what was that, 59, I believe, uh, that they were in the synagogue and uh, so when they call him rabbi, which means teacher, uh, that's my indication. They're probably in the synagogue at this point even. And they've always wanted signs. That's one of the things uh, with these people following Jesus is they always want another sign, perform another miracle. And Jesus said, you know what, you're, you're even beyond wanting another sign now in verse 26. You're here because you want more food. Uh, I, I fed you, and, and now it's beyond a sign even. Now you're just following along because you want this food. Uh, but, but don't work for that bread. In verse 27, you've gone to a lot of work for that bread, but there's something better. Don't labor for that bread that you'll eat and get hungry and eventually die. But, but go for this bread that endures to eternal life. And they don't quite understand. They're, they ask Jesus, so, well, what was, must we do to be doing the works of God? You're telling us to labor for the, the bread that endures. So, so what must we labor in? What, what must we be doing to do the works of God? And Jesus gives this answer in verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And we're going to build on that. That's kind of the overarching thought of, well, pretty much everything I say, uh, but the overarching thought of this passage. This is the work of God. Believe in him whom he has sent. And Jesus is going to make that very clear. He is the one whom the Father has sent. Believe in Jesus. If you take nothing else from this, take that. If you start thinking about bread and you want to run home early and make some homemade bread, drive safely, but remember this. Believe in the one whom the Father has sent. And so we're going to build upon that. And this crowd then that is around Jesus in verse uh, 30, uh, they said to him, okay, well then what sign do you do? They're back to the signs now. All right, our, our fathers, they ate that manna. They're referring to Moses here back uh, when they were in the wilderness. Our fathers ate uh, that manna and, and uh, that bread. Uh, show us your sign. Now, granted, there are some people who had followed from the other side of the, the sea, and, and they saw something, but they want to see more. There's probably some new people in Capernaum here around the, the synagogue, and they're saying, well, show us something. What sign do you have? Because we have Moses. And, and uh, Jesus then says, but it wasn't really Moses who gave you that bread. In verse 32, that wasn't really Moses. That was the Father who gave you uh, who gave you that bread and, and the Father gives you the true bread and, and this true bread is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
That's the true bread. And, and Jesus is trying to get their attention again back on, on him. So don't go for that manna where they ate it and, and they died in the wilderness, but this true, this, this uh, living bread. And, and I, I want to tie in, we're, we're going to jump around a little bit, but notice how in verse 35, Jesus, uh, he says, I am the bread of life. And then he picks up on this thought again, if you jump ahead to uh, verse 48, I am the bread of life. So I kind of want to tie in uh, verses 48 through 58 with verses uh, 30 through 35 here. And we're going to kind of bounce uh, between the two. Because Jesus is making this point, I am the bread of, of life, the true living bread. And, and he even uses that term flesh in verse 51. Now, as we read uh, these verses, especially in, in 51 and, and kind of to the end, um, you come across things uh, like, Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is, is true drink. And what we have to remember when we read that is that Jesus has already established what the true bread is and, and how we are to think of this. Uh, when you go back to verse 29, uh, remember, uh, that was a, kind of our starting point here. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then look at verse uh, 35 again. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And if you look at verse 40, it said, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. So when Jesus is talking about uh, this, this bread and, and drink in verses 54, 55, and 56. He's already set up what it means to eat, if you will, and drink. And that is to come to him and believe in him. And, and we kind of need a, a, a right understanding of that, that that's what Jesus is saying, come to me and believe in me. And we understand that Jesus is not instituting the Lord's Supper here or communion, or Eucharist, or whatever uh, word you want to use uh, for that. He's not instituting it here. Now, there's some great teaching we take from here when we go to the Lord's Supper, but he's not instituting it here. He's, he's making, he's teaching. He's, he's making a point, and, and we have to get kind of the right idea of this, uh, the, the spiritual reality of feeding on Christ, and, and internalizing Christ, ingesting Christ, if you want to use that term, feeding our faith, laboring for that bread, and, and believing. Come to Jesus and believe. And the importance of this is right thinking uh, is, is uh, pretty big. Uh, because there are some that, if you read verses uh, 54, 55, and 56, without that earlier context, uh, you, you can do a couple of things. You can uh, come up with some theology that's almost nonsensical about what the Lord's Supper is. And also you can drift off into um, sacramentalism, if you will, or, or a works-based uh, thing where uh, when Jesus said, uh, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him, that's in, in verse uh, 36, um, uh, 
uh, whoever feeds on my flesh in verse 54, uh, my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And, and you could fall into this thinking of, well, that means all I have to do then is have the Lord's Supper a couple of times in my life, and I'm good, right? Because that's what he just said here. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Come to me. Believe in me. That If, if you were to uh, take too literally what Jesus is trying to teach here in these last verses, it contradicts what he started with. This is about belief. This is about coming to Jesus for eternal life. And he's teaching the crowd this because their appetites are all about uh, food and uh, political ambitions and really not about faith. Really not about faith yet. When you uh, look at verse 36, what Jesus said, I, I said that, that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And so he's giving this teaching. You've got to come to me. Believe in the one whom the Father has sent. And then, in the midst of all of this, he gives more wonderful teaching, but also more teaching that can be misunderstood. It's a very deep passage here, and, and uh, he gives this, this uh, wonderful teaching about faith. And what their faith really is. And so uh, let's kind of jump in the middle of, of where we've been then. Verses 37 through verses 47. And, and you'll see what Jesus is saying here. Uh, now, first of all, there, there's a problem that the crowd is going to have. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven uh, not to do my own will, but the will of him whom st who sent me. And, and uh, the crowd is going to say, well, wait a minute. Um, he came down. From heaven, but we know who his father was. Joseph is probably dead at this point. We know who his father was. We know who his mother was. Later on in scripture, they'll say, We know who his brothers and his sisters are. What does it mean that he came down from heaven? So they're going to get tripped up on that. And, and once again, John is pointing to the deity of Jesus. Jesus, as God, came down uh, from heaven. But also, uh, Jesus gets deeper in about this, this faith. And if you read verse 37, uh, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then if you will, jump to verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Just notice the first two sentences in those two verses. Verse 37 again. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And this is one of the major themes in John's gospel is the divine sovereignty of our salvation. In other words, that it is God who is all of salvation. God who chooses us for salvation. This comes up again in John chapter 8. It'll come up again in John chapter 10. It's part of uh, John chapter 12 where it's really striking uh, when the prophet Isaiah gets quoted. It's part of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. This idea of, of predestination, if you will, of God knowing, God choosing. It's even later on in this passage 
uh, when you look at verses uh, 64 and 65, Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And that's why he said, this is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. In verse 70, after Peter gives this great confession, Jesus, we, we believe who you say you are. And Jesus said, I chose you. It comes up over and over again. Paul will write about it, uh, predestination in, in Romans and in Ephesians. There's words like foreknowledge and God's choosing uh, throughout the New Testament. But here's a doctrine uh, that often gets uh, categorized as Calvinism or Reformed theology and will be often minimized and even dismissed sometimes by people. And I understand why. I, I do understand, I don't agree, but I understand the reluctance to go with what Jesus is saying here. Um, because Jesus also says, you do have to come to me and you do have to believe. Uh, D.A. Carson writes, it must be insisted with no less vigor that John emphasizes the responsibility of people to come to Jesus. Uh, when you look back at chapter 5 and verse 40, uh, this is, Jesus said, Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so this does sometimes get minimized by some. And that's too bad because it's such a beautiful part of our faith. Again, I'm going to jump between verses 37 and 44. And I'm going to split them up a little bit. All that the Father gives me will come to me, in verse 37. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The end of verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The end of verse 44, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's a promise in this. There's a beauty in this. When you look at verses 38 and, and 39 and 40, I've come down not to do uh, my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And, and this is his will, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jumping ahead to verse uh, 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And here is Jesus. Here is the Son of God who is perfectly obedient, and he's going to do the will of the Father, and he's also supremely powerful so that he can perfectly do the will of the Father. And this is our assurance of eternal life. The Father choosing us, the Holy Spirit uh, enlightening. Jump ahead real quick, uh, if you will, to verse 63, where Jesus is saying, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The Holy Spirit giving life, the Son with his perfect obedience, the bread of life. It's a wonderful, beautiful thought because I know my sin and you know your sin. And if this were all up to me, I would be utterly lost. 
but God chooses. And God, the Son, is perfectly obedient. And he will not lose one of those who believes in him. This is the bread of life. This is better than my homemade, butter-soaked, honey-dripping-off piece of bread that I eat. It's a reminder that there's something more delicious out there. And we labor for that. And we labor, we, we hunger for the true bread. And it's wonderful teaching and assuring teaching. But it is hard for many to accept, and that's uh, what Jesus runs into here. It is hard for uh, many to accept. And, and uh, in verse 60 and, and then to the end, many of the disciples heard this. Now, the, when he's saying disciples here, he's talking about uh, not just the 12, but those who have been following him. Usually it says many of the Jews... And that usually refers to Jewish leaders, but here he's saying disciples. These are people who are actually following him, but they are influenced by their Jewish leaders, and they've got some wrong ideas. But they say, well, this, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it in verse 60? And that word hard, you can translate that, it's difficult, it's demanding, it's offensive. And there's a few reasons why uh, they're, they're offended by what te uh, Jesus is teaching here. Uh, one of the reasons is uh, Jesus is claiming, once again, to be better than Moses. Moses gave you that. Well, he didn't give you that. God gave you that manna. But, you know, those guys, they ate that and they died. I got something better. I've got the bread of eternal life. So he's, he's claiming superiority over Moses again. This whole idea of eating bread and drinking blood, this is going to be very offensive to many people, especially the drinking blood part, because Moses told them they, they're not supposed to do that. Uh, so they're struggling with this. Once again, they're more interested in food and in a political messiah and, and uh, in miracles uh, than they are in the spiritual realities that Jesus is trying to teach them. Their minds are saying, give me something tangible, something I can hang on to, something I can see right now, but Jesus keeps talking in these spiritual terms. And also, they're uh, struggling here because, and I'm going to quote Carson again, D.A. Carson, he writes, they were unprepared to relinquish their own sovereign authority, even in matters religious, and therefore were incapable of taking the first steps of genuine faith. I like how Carson says that. They were unprepared to relinquish their own sovereign authority, even in matters religious. And that is hard. It is hard to say, I am a worthless sinner. God, you are everything. And I've got nothing if I've got if I don't have you. It's hard to give that up. It's easier to say, give me a checklist and let me start checking things off. And they're struggling with this. They find it offensive. 
And Jesus, uh, in verses 61 and 62, says, well, if you find this offensive, you're going to find a whole bunch more offensive. This is just the beginning. And he is going to start saying some things where they're going to pick up stones and they want to stone him. He said, if I ascend to heaven, and, and what he's talking about here is all the steps going to the ascension, including being hung on the cross, which is highly, highly offensive and gruesome to the Jewish people. He said, if you think this is offensive, there's more coming. And they decide to walk away. They decide, you know what, the struggle isn't worth it. And Jesus is left with the twelve. He's left with the twelve and he asks them a question. In verse 67, Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And I think the NET Bible really translates this verse well. They translate it, you don't want to go away too, do you? In Greek, there's a way of asking a question, and, and it's a little particle in the sentence. And, and if you use the may particle, uh, that means the, the answer, the expected answer is no. If you use ook, it means the expected answer, the answer should be given is, is yes. And here it's, it's the may, which our little hint in Greek was may means nay. Uh, you don't want to go away too, do you? You really don't want to go away too. And this question is more for the disciples' sake than for Jesus' sake. It's more important for the disciples to be able to articulate a response than it is for Jesus to hear it. But he asks them this question this way because it's about belief, and he wants them to state what they believe. And hopefully this is part of your prayer life. To go to God and state what it is you believe. To be able to articulate what you believe about Jesus. And maybe it's a good thing to do on a sunny Sunday afternoon, walk to the backyard where no one can hear you talking out loud and articulating to God what you believe. A lot of times that's more important for the disciples than it is for God to hear it. Not to just say, well, I believe whatever I heard Sunday morning. I believe whatever the Bible says, but to be able to say, like Peter, who gives this great answer, when he asked, do you want to go away as well? And Peter answers for all of them, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else would we go, Jesus? We got nothing else. Nothing else. And Jesus backs that up saying, you know this because I chose you. I chose you. Sometimes I imagine uh, when we get to heaven, Jesus will look at each and every one of us and say, I, I chose you. That's why you're here. I chose you. 
It's a beautiful parts of the gospel. And there are a few things that when we realize what Jesus is saying here uh, happen to us. First of all, we're humble. We are not the driving force that brings us to Christ. It's all of God. God is the one who puts this faith in us. We would be utterly lost if it were not for God's calling us, his choosing us. We're reminded of the assurance we have because the Son of God is perfectly obedient and will not lose one of those who believe in him. He has unrivaled power. We are thankful. We are thankful. Because God chose us. Causes this great feeling of thanks. And also, if we step just a little bit beyond, we realize that there is no one beyond hope. We all have people we know who we know are not following Christ. They have not come and they have not believed in, in Christ. Here's what we know. That no matter what sin they have committed and no matter how long they have been committing this sin, there is nothing too hard for God to do. He can save the worst of sinners, and that's why we keep praying for them. Because when he calls, they will come, and Jesus will never lose them. Our salvation is all of God. And what a glorious truth that is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all praise to you for electing us to salvation by the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the spilling of blood of Jesus, we marvel at your merciful love. We thank you for choosing us. Keep us firm in our belief. Strengthen our faith that we may continue to grow in and continue to feed on the bread of life, which leads to eternal life. May we give you praise now and forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And our benediction this morning comes from the book of Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope, to the only wise God be glory forevermore in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.